All right. Short study tonight, but I was reading an article on Focus on the Family a couple of weeks ago, and I really liked some of the content that was in there. Focus on the Family, great material for devotional things like that. I wish they had the gospel correct, and a lot of times they, it, it's very traditional as far as turning from sin and, and things like that. But I found this article, and it was called Praying Like Jesus, and it went through eight different things that Jesus did in his prayer ministry. And I thought it would be good, especially as we're thinking about Thanksgiving, which I think we can best express to the Lord in prayer often. We know from Philippians chapter 4, that's a method in how we, we uh, give thanks to the Lord and how we pray. But also we can learn lessons from Jesus. So I want you to take your Bible and just meet me in Matthew chapter 19. We're going to be bouncing around in a lot of different places. One of the most famous prayers that the Lord communicated was uh, the Lord's Prayer. It's very prevalent in Catholicism, and a lot of people recite it, but they just recite it. That's just about it. That was not Jesus' prayer life. Jesus' prayer life, if I were to describe it in one word, from my own personal observation, was intentional. He made time for it. Uh, when I do counseling and I talk to people uh, that are going through difficult times, intentionality is a, a very big part to success. If you're not intentional with your success, it's not going to happen. Things just don't randomly come together and all of a sudden, oh, I'm successful. I mean, imagine if we got dressed that way in the morning. We just stared at our closet, threw ourselves in there. We're not going to have a completed outfit, everything ready to go. Although that is how some people dress today, but you know, that's another thing for another day. But you got to be intentional with what you want to wear and all those different types of things. So if that's how we would have a successful wardrobe, so to speak, we have to have successful ministry in the same way, and we have to have a successful prayer life in the same way. We need to be intentional. But these eight things that we observe about Jesus can help us be more intentional. Now, before I get to this list, a lot of times when people are looking at stuff like this, they go, okay, if I just merely do in action these eight things, then I'll be spiritual. That, that doesn't lead to spirituality. And that's why I say in, being intentional is important. These eight things are things that we can note from Jesus and put ourselves in similar situations to experience a prayer life like he did. Now, he prayed without any error. We oftentimes, we have not because we ask not. And if we still don't have and we ask, why is that? Because we ask amiss. We ask to consume upon our own lusts. So we can note here that we have a good model from Jesus because the model that he's given us is intentional, but it's also perfect. The Lord's Prayer, while it is good, and, and I, I believe it has a purpose, uh, in the tribulation specifically, the best prayer, I think, that we can see from Jesus is John 17. The intercessory prayer for the disciples and also for those who would believe on him. It's a beautiful prayer, but it's long, a lot longer than the Lord's Prayer. But I want you to see here in uh, Matthew 19, 13, we see that Jesus prayed for others. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 13 says this, Then were there brought unto him little children, that he should put his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Suffer or allow little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of God. And he laid his hand on them and departed thence. So the first thing we see about Jesus is that he prayed 
four others. This is not a chronological list. This is not in order of appearance of Jesus' praying. You can do that with a Bible research tool. You can type in pray and all the different endings of, of that word, and you can see a chronological list. But this kind of prayer is called intercessory prayer. We just did intercessory prayer right now. We prayed for other people. It's the most popular kind of prayer. It's not the only way to pray, though. Look in uh, John chapter 17 and verse 9. John chapter 17, verse 9, up page 1139, if you have a church Bible here. I love this one. Jesus is, this is the prayer of intercession. He's praying for his disciples, and we know from later on in this passage, he's praying for those who would believe on him, which, by the way, that's you. If you've believed on Jesus Christ for eternal life, get this for a moment. Just let this sink in. Jesus prayed for you. He did not pray in front of you, uh, in your presence, with you. He prayed for you specifically. Isn't that something? I mean, that should really, if you're struggling with value, that, that should show you how much uh, importance you carry to him. But in John chapter 17 and verse 9, it says this, I pray for them. I pray not for the world. Now, this doesn't mean he doesn't pray for um, you know, people in general. We know that he loves the world, but the world system. Why? Because the world system is against him. It's not going to uh, recognize him. But for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. So we know he's talking about his disciples here. And as we go further, as a matter of fact, if you just turn the page over in verse 20, it says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. So if we were to trace the, the gospel invitation, necessarily, that was given to the person who led us to Christ, and then the gospel invitation that was given to that person, it would trace all the way back to what the disciples did. And so through that declaration of the gospel, we get to where we are today, we have believed on what is said, and therefore we're included in this category. So we see that he prayed for others, but he also prayed with others. There's a difference there. Look in Luke chapter 9 and verse 28. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. And it came to pass about uh, and eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And he prayed, and as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and uh, glistering. We know that is on the Mount of Transfiguration, in which he appeared to them in his glorified form. But an important note here is that we should pray with others. I learned this habit in college. I'm thankful to be able to say it's a habit now. But most of the time, unless I'm not thinking clearly or I've got something else on my mind, some of you have experienced this. When there's a need that is mentioned in conversation, I'll pray with you right there. I don't think we should only pray alone, although there is a time for that. We should pray with others. How many of you have been prayed with before? Raise your hand. Is that not an encouraging thing? It's nice to actually see somebody say what you hardly ever see people do. It's nice. But also, we should be able to do that to encourage one another. 
And Jesus certainly demonstrated that. Look in chapter 5 of Luke in verse 16. Luke chapter 5 in verse 16. There's actually a lot of points that we'll look at from this verse here. Start in verse 15. Luke chapter 5 verse 15 into verse 16. But so much more, excuse me, but so much the more went there a fame abroad of him. And great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. There's two things I want to note from here. There's another reference in uh, Luke chapter 6 and verse 12 that talks a little bit about this. Um, look at that real quick. Look at Luke, since we're right there, Luke 6, 12. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer. There are three things that we can observe from this. Number one, Jesus, or excuse me, the, the third point is that Jesus prayed alone. He actually did this quite a bit. He departed from his disciples, from the ministry that he was doing to get with God alone. The second thing here is that he prayed in God's creation. Now, this is one of those things I've seen a lot where people kind of say, well, you can't really experience prayer unless you're out in the wilderness. You got to get alone with God in that way. I don't think that's true, but it is something that you can do, and I think it would be healthy. I mean, look where we live today. It's kind of hard to find nature, right? I mean, we can, you know, uh, you can go to a park or something, but there's still, you hear that semi or that uh, police siren or something. You can go to the Hillsborough River State Park and, and in, I'll just be honest, enjoy that. I don't know, that's not really my kind of nice state park, but, <laughs> uh, but you can get alone with God um, without the distractions in his creation Jesus did that often, you see, when he departs into a mountain or into the wilderness. The reality, as a Jewish person, he could have gone to a synagogue. No problem. He could have prayed in that way. That was actually what would be acceptable for him to do. But he did this specifically. I don't think there's some great nugget of wisdom there, but I think it is important that as we are in God's creation, we should be in prayer to him too. I get the opportunity to go at least to some type of beautiful scenery at least once a year. Most of the time, it's at a beach, Anna Maria Island. And I, this, this just kind of happens naturally for me. I'm, I'm struck by the beauty I see. The waves rolling in. I, when I see the sand, I think about, uh, so, so shall your seed be as the sand of the sea. I think, how, who could number this? There's a little place that we have there in Anna Maria Island that's by a location called Bean Point, B-E-A-N Point. And it's one of the places on the island where it's a huge area of white sand, like quartz sand, like really nice. It's the kind that if you put your feet into it, it's cool, right? Like it's not that cheap sand on the other coast. Shots fired, I know, but man, it's good here. But when the sun goes down, this Bean Point, it's like a panoramic view of the sunset. You don't see like a bunch of chairs and stuff like that or like, you know, a pier out to the side or a shoreline out to the side. You could literally put yourself right in the middle. Most people do this. They make like a half circle and they look and they just see the sun come down and it is beautiful. When I see things like that, this past um, month we went to North Carolina and saw the leaves changing. I was just impressed with, man, God created this. 
And, the, the, and I, I thank him for it, and I praise him for it in prayer. And I think this, too. If this is beautiful to me, what is heaven going to be like? This is fallen, you know? Yeah, the, the leaves are changing because they're decaying. You know, this is a part of sin. It's, we see this beautiful thing, but man, what is heaven going to be like? What's that tree that I'm going to have in heaven where I can sit under the shade of it? What is that going to look like? I often wonder, it's got to be better than this. And that, may, that reminds me to give thanks to God, to pray. And I think that's important. Jesus modeled that. But the third thing and the fifth point, but the third thing in these two verses is he prayed for hours. I went to a, a conference a couple of years ago, the Grace Conference. I, I try to go every year. But about two years ago or maybe the year before COVID, so it was a little bit before, but there was a man there who he was teaching in the, this, this big sanctuary that they have, beautiful auditorium. But his class was not well attended. I don't know why, but I was there. And I sat down, and he was talking about how he has learned how to pray all through the night. And I was just impressed by that. And he, he demonstrated how he did it. He said, you start for like in, in two-week periods. You pray for five minutes at a time, and then you, you raise it. And it's not something you're trying to do like in a year or something, but it could take a long time to do that. But he disciplines himself once a month to spend an entire night in prayer. And I thought, what's the benefit of that? Like, what, what have you experienced, you know? And when I went to talk to him afterwards, I was talking to him and just was really impressed. He had a nice graph and all this different thing, and I could tell he was prepared and passionate about what he was speaking. And he said, the, the, the number one thing that I have gained from that is pray without ceasing. I thought that was an interesting thing. I would have thought how to discipline the mind, how to focus, but he said once he started to build up his prayer endurance, he stopped keeping track of the time. After it was five minutes, ten minutes, that, you know, he, he's, he's a month in, he's learning how to pray for 15 minutes at a time. He didn't care how much time he had spent. When he was done tracking the time, he just continued in prayer. It became a mindset more than an action that he did. And I thought that was interesting and you can see there in, in, in Luke 6, 12, it says, and continued all night in prayer. Look at verse 13. And when it was day, he went and did work. I think that's like interesting, right? Like if you were to think about, all right, I want you to pick a night this week where you'll pray all night. You'll go, I'll pray on the night when I'm off the next day. I'll spend all of Sunday night in prayer so that Monday I can sleep in, right? <laughs> but Jesus prayed and then he went and gave of himself. What a great model for us, too, that prayer should not just be something that we do and, and, and check it off when, you know, before meals and things like that, but it should be a state of mind in which we are. You also saw from uh, Luke 5.16 that he prayed regularly. In John 17, the whole chapter, he prayed with heart. I love that prayer because it's very intentional, but he, he, he prays passionately for his disciples. Why? They were all going to be killed, all of them. They tried to kill John, but they were unable to do so, and so he was exiled. He's the only one that died of old age. The others ripped apart. Peter was crucified upside down. I don't think we realize how much the disciples endured for simple identification with Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting, in a lot of the pop uh, culture out there and, and science fiction and stuff, there's always jabs taken at Christianity all the time. 
But I was actually reading today because of some things that were, were going on um, in an email chain that I was involved in, which was so weird. Uh, I, I, I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this guy's name right, but I think it's Nietzsche, Nietzsche, something like that. Frederick. Yeah, really fun guy. No, he was, he was a downer. Um, but he is one of the leading thoughts in psychology today. And I'm not talking about like people, he's a footnote. People have lived their lives after his teaching. And it's crazy what he says about Christianity. He gives credit to every other major world religion. I'm serious, every one of them, except Judaism and Christianity. Why do you think that is? Because all those other religions, like what Nietzsche was uh, proposing, they're all from the devil. The devil's not going to attack himself. He's going to make sure that those things are, are pushed. He said Buddha was a good guy. He's just trying his best. Literally, a man like Frederick Nietzsche, who just said so much about so many things, all he said about Buddha was he was a good guy. It was almost like he was paid by the Buddhists to like make this one statement. But he said the same thing about uh, Hinduism and all these other ones. He was very, um, he praised Islam quite a bit, which is interesting because they also claim roots back to the Abrahamic God. But he says, you know, God is dead. That's one of his most famous lines. God is dead. And in order for you to understand full depth, you have to go all the way into your frenzy side. Carl Jung, same thing, kind of built off of Nietzsche. And he, you know, all, all these different things are, are going through and you realize Boy, everyone's got a problem with Jesus. Why? Because he's the way, the truth, and the life. That's why. He's going to come under attack because he's the truth. And the things that are attacking him are error. But he prayed with heart and intention for those who were going to lose their lives for him and ultimately for us too. But the, I think the other place where we see a great model of prayer from our Savior is in Matthew 26. Let's Let's go there. Starting in verse 36. Matthew 26, 36. Now, if we look at the Synoptic Gospels together, we know that he had just gotten done with that prayer for the disciples. Uh, they could not... Um, understand what he was saying necessarily. I mean, I, I believe they heard him in their language, of course, but they were not putting two and two together. They had the Lord's Supper. Jesus is betrayed. So he goes to the garden here, and he starts in verse 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and said unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. He separated himself from them to pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. This is the Savior of the world in his human nature, which was not fallen, but he could face affliction. He was grieved. Many people, and I kind of understood this at one point while I was in college, tried to explain that he was so grieved here because he was under attack and the devil was trying to take his life right there in the garden. I, I don't believe that that is what we're seeing. I believe what we're seeing is he is coming to the moment where he is going to be the thing that he hates. He is going to take on the very thing that is opposed to him. 
And in his nature, in his human nature, it's not because he's not strong enough. It's not because he does not have enough faith. But he knows this is going to be the worst thing that he could experience. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. He went a little farther, and fell on his faith, and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And many people will say, well, this is, see, he didn't want to go to the cross. He knew what he was going to endure, if there was any other way for it to be done. But he said, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And this is, I have people that I love and respect that don't agree necessarily with what I'm going to say next, which is, I think the best thing that you can pray is, Lord, give me the strength to do your will. That's the best. It's the best thing that you can pray. Is there not anywhere else that we would be but in his will? I don't want to pray fervently for something that God does not want. Some people don't like that because it makes you seem like a little Calvinist. They think, well, you know, God's in charge of everything, so you don't have an involvement in anything. No, no, God has a will for you. I think he has a personal will for you. But we can ask incorrectly. We can focus on the fact that we want the answer and we're not satisfied with the, with the ability to pray. There is a difference. We can weaponize prayer to get our own way. That's why, we, that's why people don't get answered prayer. But Jesus said here, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And when he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep, he saith unto Peter, What could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. This third time is very important to note. He left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he cometh to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now, take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. This is the first time where he now says, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. He was ready. But he did not get that passing of the cup. But he was content with what? The Father's will to be done. He said earlier in John, uh, in John 17, we don't have time to look at it, but he said in the first five verses of John chapter 17, glorify me, Lord. I will be glorified now. And it wasn't that he was glorified in the prayer. The glorification that he is, that he is speaking of is that he's going to go to the cross and remove that barrier which is between God and his creation. He was going to do that. We sang that song tonight, The Scars in the Hands of Jesus. It's a beautiful song. It's a little repetitive with the melody and stuff, but the intent of that song is... The only thing that's going to remain on the body of Jesus Christ that is a sign of what he did were those scars. That's a choice. Uh, that is a forever reminder of the price that was paid. Now, we look here from this perspective as believers here on the earth, and we see that, and we have guilt and grief. We're sorrowful that these things have happened, but we're thankful to know that price is paid. When we get to heaven... No guilt, no grief. It'll be joy. That's, 
That, I think, is, is the thrust in which we should pray, even for the smallest of things in our lives. I used to say for a long time, I'm not saying it as much, but that might change, but I used to say a lot, a, a, quite a bit, like, I'm glad, Lord, there's nothing too small or too big, that I don't have to come to you at your office hours. It's the worst thing when you call customer service to a place and you miss them by one minute. You know how frustrating that is? <laughs> Aren't you glad that God does not put you on hold? That he does not say, I'm sorry, I cannot hear you right now. He's always there, folks. He's always there. I think it's kind of interesting. I'm not putting my conspiracy hat on at all, but I think it's kind of interesting how ready and available a lot of our smart devices are. You can literally ask a question at any time, and it'll give you an answer. But we're not supposed to trust in artificial intelligence or search results. I mean, those things, as you can see, can be skewed. We need to trust in the Lord and bring our prayers to him. So in summary here, we can see that Jesus prayed for others. With others, he prayed alone. He, played, he prayed in God's creation. He prayed for long hours, regularly, with heart. And he prayed for the Father's will. And then he went and did it. So I think as we're getting an opportunity to spend time with family and friends, especially those in your life who may not have put their trust in Jesus Christ, would you bring them to the Lord tonight? He loves them more than you do, and I don't mean that to be inflammatory. That's just, that's true. He sent his son to die for them. Pray for them. Before you go and talk to them tomorrow and, and, and maybe try to finagle a crafty way to say something, you know, give it to the Lord. And then be faithful to go give that message. That's where a lot of people fail. They can pray, but then they don't put themselves in a position to be successful. I had a Sunday school teacher that said, you need to put legs on your prayer. That always stuck with me. I, it's like, yeah, if I'm going to pray for someone to get saved, I should be giving them the gospel. <laughs> you know, like, sometimes it's like the Lord is lovingly looking at us like, go on, come on, <laughs> you got it. We do that with Remy all the time now. You can close your Bibles. Boy, she's crawling, by the way. I don't know if you guys have seen that. The belly days are over. The army crawl, pff, that's for babies, you know? <laughs> but there's times where she'll turn around the house, she'll look, she's all the way over in the other room, and I'll be like, come on, you got it, and she'll, you know, just a little, little, and then she'll run towards something, you know, <laughs> and get distracted. Boy, I just, I, 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 I'm learning all these experiences as a father, you know, and it's only been a year, but I can see a lot of how patient God is with me and, and how he doesn't give up. We can demonstrate that in a lot of different ways. But the Father does want you to go ahead, get going. Go do what you're supposed to do. And sometimes it's a stern rebuke. Oftentimes it's a loving hand of correction. But I, I pray that's an encouragement to you. I can send you that article if you want. If you are curious about it, you can ask me after the service. I can uh, email it to you. I like focus on the family. Their devotional stuff is good. Like I said, their gospel could be a little cleaner, but I think that's true of a lot of places. But I want to share with you how you can know that you're going to heaven when you die. This is the greatest news in all the world. This hand is going to represent you and me, and this block of sin is going to represent what separates us from God. We all have sin. This sin, as I said, it separates us from God. And in order to get to heaven, we have to be perfect without any sin, but we all fall short. This word sin means to miss the mark. 
What is the mark that we miss? Perfection. A lot of people think, well, I'll start today, right? I'll never sin from this day forward. Well, even if you could do that, and you can't, but even if you could do that, the sin that you committed before you made that commitment has to be paid. That's why we have a problem, folks. And this payment for sin is serious. Somebody's got to die. And there are many people who are trying to do good works by going to church, by reading their Bible, praying, being a a good person. And there's nothing wrong with those things. Those things are good things for you to do. But the problem is, if you say, I know I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person, I go to church, I stopped sinning, I gave my life, whatever it may be, the first statement in those sentences is, I, 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 those are all works. No one is saved by works, lest any man should boast. If we were to pay for this sin by ourselves, we'd have to spend an eternity in hell separated from God. That's the reality for people today. They were saying, I, 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 me, 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 my works, my works. But they never experienced salvation. Why is that? They didn't believe on Jesus Christ. This hand represents Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, the Messiah. What Jesus did, we just saw that prayer in Matthew 26. He then went to the cross and he took on that sin for us, made the payment for us. He cried out, it is finished. He died, he was buried, and he rose again three days later. We all know that. We're, about, we're coming up on the time of the year where we're going to talk about his birth. And in late March, early April, we'll talk about his resurrection. People know these things. They know that these things happened. But salvation occurs when you, as the sinner, put your trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He did those things for your sin payment. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, anybody, believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The moment that you put your trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, that sin that separates you from God His blood is now applied to you and you're paid. Your sin is paid. Totally, completely. Even if I go do X, Y, and Z, is it a sin? Yeah. Did Jesus die for all sin? Well, yeah. So yes, it's paid for. That's what the Bible calls eternal security. And we have that eternal security. Why? Because Jesus paid for all my sin. So if you're here tonight, you want to know how to get to heaven and you're thinking, well, I'm a good person, so I know I'm going to go. That's not how you get to heaven. You get to heaven by putting your trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who shed His blood to pay for your sin. He was buried and rose again three days later. Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That, if there's anything we should be thankful for today, tomorrow, and for eternity, it is for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let us not forget. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heads bowed, eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around. If you're here tonight and you think, you know, I walked in here and I thought I had to be a good person to get to heaven, go to church, read my Bible, pray, stay out of trouble. But I see now there's no good works that can pay for my sin. I'd have to die and go to hell. So I put my trust in Jesus Christ. I believe that He is the Son of God, shed His blood and died on that cross, was buried and rose again for me to pay for my sin. I know I'm saved now. I know I'm going to heaven. If that's you, if you've put your trust 
in the Savior tonight for the first time in your life, I would like to pray for you. I'd like you to just raise your hand and let me know and say, Pastor, tonight I trusted on Jesus Christ. I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. Would you pray for me? I certainly would. Would you just raise your hand and let me know? Raising your hand doesn't save you. It just lets me know. No one's going to touch your shoulder, bring you down the aisle, nothing like that. I just want to pray. And, and our people want to rejoice and know. Anyone here tonight before we close? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You got a great opportunity this coming weekend. I know many of you are aware of that. Would you pray for the people in your lives who are not yet born again? Would you pray that God would use you to bring them to a clear understanding of how they can be saved and then commit to doing the thing that brings that about? Share the gospel. Maybe you have friends and family in your life who are saved, but they're not walking with the Lord. They're walking in their own desires. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's you. Will you talk to the Lord? Will you recognize the opportunities that are being wasted by either your friend or by yourself and get right with him? I'm praying for you as you can be a light to those in your family. And finally, can we thank the Lord tonight for eternal life, for a Bible that we can read in our own language? freely for families and friends and loved ones but most of all for Jesus Christ Father we thank you for your son in his name we pray these things